Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're excited to be on the podcast. The podcast is here to help employers break down and understand more clearly uh, issues relating to compliance and group health plans. And so today, Suzanne, we're excited to jump on to discuss something a little bit different than we have. We've been kind of stuck in this vaccine mandate in this COVID world and covering that very closely and trying to help employers with that. But today we're going to go and discuss the restriction on group health plans discriminating against certain classes of employers. And we're going to talk about why we're hitting that right now, why it's timely in a little bit. But for now, um, we just want to understand the rule that we're talking about with this discrimination. So Suzanne, can you give us a little bit more background on that? Yeah, I, I certainly can. And it, it really is a provision that can impact uh, group health plans and, and certainly their affordability. But we have to look back to the ACA. This actually was from the ACA and it bars group health plans and carriers from discriminating with regard to participation under a plan or um, against any provider that acts, quote, within the scope of its license or certification under applicable state law. So the goal of this provision was to ensure that patients have a right to access any covered health service under the plan from the full range of providers that are licensed or certified in their state. Okay. So this this is a little bit more of an obscure one under the ACA, right? I mean, we've kind of, for employers, for us, we've been living in this ACA world for quite a while now. And we know the main rules with SBCs and employer mandate and reporting with the 1095Cs and dependent coverage up to age 26. Like these are all very common, well-known areas of the ACA. But this one feels a, a little bit more obscure. Right. What led up to this? Why was it even in the ACA? Well, we saw many self-insured plans or even insurance carriers that were excluding services that were provided by certain categories of healthcare providers. Um, and, and oftentimes they were saying you had to have an MD by your name in order to provide a, a covered service. Uh, and these were providers who had professional training. They were licensed in their state to perform a certain service. But for example, a plan may cover the cost of a baby's delivery only if it was done by an obstetrician, but not by a nurse midwife. That's that's just one example. So that's what uh, we're talking about. Okay. So um, what about state law, though? Because state laws do have some mandates like that when it comes to providers. Um, right. Well, in, in state law, that sort of yes. prohibited this? Yeah, you're you're right. Almost every state has some kind of a law that requires um, health plans to cover the services of certain groups of licensed providers who aren't physicians, but they vary. They vary state to state. So we're talking about, you know, a, a lots of different kinds of providers that could be chiropractors, optometrists, physical therapists, psychologists, um, registered nurses, acupuncturists, massage therapists, naturopaths. Mm. So there's, you know, a wide range of providers who some states, and they would, they would certainly choose which providers um, were, were mandated coverage. Okay, so state law addressed it, but maybe not in the most consistent way. And then we have all these variances in types of providers. Uh, but was the ACA trying to target anything else besides that consistency or that um, breadth of, of providers? 
Well, I think you you identified one of them. Certainly, is, is that there was inconsistency in the state in terms of which providers, but mm-hmm. also the state laws govern insurance carriers. They don't govern the, the self-insured plans. And certainly we have a, a large segment of the population that are covered by self-insured plans rather than fully insured plans. And so it was trying to certainly make things more consistent in terms of which providers would be covered and also applying it to both self-insured and fully insured plans. Yeah, that's a, that's a big challenge with the self-insured. I'm guessing like many issues, they get litigated, right? And so what did the courts have to say and, and how did that impact things here? Yeah, right. You're right. There was a lot of uh, there was certainly a lot of lawsuits that occurred that occurred, and they some um, fell on the side of ERISA preemption. They said, okay, these these this state law is actually preempted by ERISA, therefore the state law cannot stand. And but we had a difference in the courts of that. And so, as background to those cases, really, when you look back to the 1980s, many of the states started enacting these any willing provider laws, um, as as you saw group health plans establishing their narrow networks. But under these laws, the carriers had to contract with any provider that was interested in joining their network, as long as they would abide by the terms of the participation agreement, of course. But the problem was this: with this was that it impacted the ability of the carriers to negotiate with the providers, because really the leverage that they had was we will direct more patients your way if, if you'll give us some lower rates. And by narrowing their network, they were able to get better rates from the providers. But when the law says, look, you've got to allow anybody in your door to contract with, they lost that leverage and the providers were no longer willing to negotiate um, and have lower rates. And so um, it ended up in several lawsuits. Interestingly, there was a state law, the lawsuit went all the way up to the Supreme Court. So this is really, while it's an obscure provision, we see something that actually made it up to the Supreme Court. Very interesting. Again, it was because we saw a difference in opinions of the appellate courts. The case was titled Kentucky Association of Health Plans versus Miller. Um, And in this case, the the Supreme Court decided that the state any willing provider laws were saved from preemption as it applied to insured plans. So what that means is that a fully insured plan could still be governed by the state laws that regulated um, any willing provider uh, mandates. And so the problem was it didn't apply to self-insured plans. So we were still left with you know, the lack of application of consistency as it applied to self-insured plans. Okay. So that helps sort of illustrate the backgrounds that we were living in and um, that kind of led up to the ACA, right? And so let's get back to the law. What does does it provide any further guidance uh, when it comes to that issue? Well, okay. So let's unpack the law a bit. First of all, it's called section 2706 and it's in the public health services act. And that provision is incorporated by reference into ERISA and into the Internal Revenue Code. So as a consequence, you have three different departments that have concurrent jurisdiction over implementation of this provision. So that's, that always gets interesting, right? When they have to then develop regulations that implement it, you've got to have the three departments working together in order to do so. Um, but the law is really only three sentences. The first sentence I already mentioned, it's that any group health plan may not discriminate with respect to participation under the plan against any healthcare provider who is acting within the scope of their license or certification. So that's that first non-discrimination language. Second, it kind of clarifies. It states that a group health plan is not required to contract with any willing provider. So it's making that distinction with those state any willing provider laws. It's saying, while we you can't discriminate, this is not an any willing provider law. I, w- I like to try to clarify this in terms of employment laws. For example, everyone knows that you can't discriminate in employment or age-based reasons. If there's an individual who comes in and applies for a job in that discrimination um, category, 
it doesn't mean that the that the employer must hire them just because they're in that age band. Um, similar with these laws, just just because you can't discriminate against a provider doesn't mean you must allow them into your network is what they were trying to say with this second sentence. Right. So you're, you're not forcing them to hire that older individual or that all individuals that you hire as a company have to be older. You're just saying you can't discriminate purely based on age, but the employer still has a little bit of discretion on who they actually hire. Right. So kind of that same idea when it comes to picking providers within your network. So what about that, that third sentence or the third part of that? Uh, right. So, so the, the third sentence narrows it a bit more or gives a little bit of flexibility to the plans to try to clarify. They say, okay, one, you can't discriminate. Two, it doesn't mean you have to, to contract with everybody. And third, you're allowed to vary reimbursement rates based on quality of performance or measures. These three sentences alone help. That's all the guidance that they give. So it, it, there was question on if the law doesn't include an any willing provider mandate, what does this really mean? Like, what does discrimination look like? It, for example, if a group health plan covers a certain condition, must it cover the services by any provider that is licensed in the state, regardless of whether the treatment, for example, is evidence-based? So if, if we're going to say a, a condition is covered, do we have to allow any licensed provider then to provide that service? Right. So usually when this happens, the agencies will provide further clarification or some type of guidance illustrating examples or trying to you know, get something out there to help. But did that happen in this instance? Well, frustratingly, no. That it, this is interesting. The federal agencies totally dodged further clarification. They issued their FAQ and they basically said that the provision was self-implementing. That's a that's a good term for, you know, let's let's dodge any further clarification. <laughs> Um, let's punt on that. It was interesting, though, they did provide a few comments and one of their comments actually extended the flexibility of the plans and how they negotiated rates. And, and so the FAQ went on to state that the provision does not govern provider reimbursement rates, which may be subject to quality performance or market conditions and standards or market standards and conditions. So that was in addition to what was laid out in the law. So they actually kind of extended that. So right. The lawmakers really took issue with, for one, the department's lack of assessment or their assessment. And then, so the Senate Appropriations Committee issued a report several months later that was repudiating their interpretation and said they shouldn't have had the ability of plans to discriminate in reimbursement based on market conditions rather than just the limited exception of the quality and performance. And they said this is exactly what this provision was intended to prohibit, this type of discrimination. And so then they, they directed HHS to work with the DOL and the Treasury to correct the FAQ, go back to the drawing board, correct that FAQ to reflect what the congressional intent was you know, and do it within 30 days is what it said. Yeah, that's <laughs> so interesting. I mean, how often does this happen where you almost you get this rebuke after an agency puts out some clarification, which turns out to almost be less of a clarification and more of an expansion and almost more confusing. But this doesn't happen too often where you get the, the committee within the Senate uh, rebuking an agency like this. How did they respond? They did issue a revised FAQ, which provided that, you know, until further guidance is issued, we won't take any enforcement action against a group health plan if they're doing so and trying to meet the requirements in good faith and they're using a reasonable interpretation of the statutory provision. So again, they really punted still to say, okay, well, until we, we give further clarification, we won't enforce it um, as long as you're doing things in a reasonable way without identifying what reasonable would be. 
So again, the lawmakers were irked again by the lack of clarity. And again, there wasn't any clarity on what good faith was even. So that's how this whole issue resurfaced and resurfaced with the Consolidated Consolidated Appropriations Act in 2021. And that requires the departments to issue regulations under the provision. So that's that's where it's kind of bringing it forward. We're now into current day times. And the CAA said, look, we're we're serious about this. You've got to issue um, some regulations really clarifying this provision. I will say, side note, there was a a really good article by Alden Bianchi with Mintz Law Firm. And we worked with him on a number of occasions. I certainly recommend him as outside counsel. Um, So if you're interested in additional insight, I would look up his article. Yeah, uh, Alden is very helpful and definitely recommend uh, that write-up as well. But let's unpack the issue a little bit more. What are what are some of the issues group health plans are dealing with in terms of possible discrimination issues? Well, like what are some of those lot. questions. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, it still leaves the same questions that were really in up from previously because we ha- really haven't had any guidance. Mm-hmm. Does the law permit an employer to exclude an entire class of providers? For example, could they decide to exclude chiropractic services? Um, it does. If you don't have an any, any willing provider law, what does that mean? You know, and, and what would be considered discrimination? Um, does that extend to a whole class of providers or not? All right, and I can see how that might also extend to midwives, right? You you mentioned that earlier. Right, right, yes. And you know, what does that mean by, for example, quality measures? So if you're going to allow some variance in reimbursement rates by quality measures. Um, can you limit it by a certain educational measure? Uh, you know, what is the type of quality measures that they're envisioning? You know, how does it, how is this really going to impact network negotiations? Um, it's certainly going to limit them in their ability to exclude providers, but we're just not clear on what that limitation is going to look like. Right. Okay. So you mentioned the CAA um, sort of re-emphasizing this. And so that brought kind of brings us up to speed on, on why this is um, current again, I guess we could say, or why we're talking about this, but did anything else happen um, since the CAA enactment that kind of is mo- even more timely? Right. Yeah. So what makes it really timely is just on the 19th of this month, the three departments hosted what was called a listening session um, regarding this non-discrimination requirement. And they had multiple trade associations, all the stakeholders who were present there um, to discuss and kind of present before the department what their concerns were, what their issues were. Everyone seemed to agree that they uh, that it wasn't an any willing provider statute. But, you know, of course, the various stakeholders had different uh, ideas about what the interpretation should be. So, for example, the providers wanted payment parity for certain services without regard to a certain provider's type of license. So if there's a covered service, no matter who provides it, the, the payment should be um, the same. And that would that would obviously be quite different from how plans pay today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big shift. A big shift. I love this idea of a, a listening session, right? Like it's amazing how much you can learn if you just listen. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, did they really listen or was it just yeah, yeah. value? Maybe they're not so great at listening if they already got a, a couple of rounds of rebukes from this, the Senate committee. But what 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 you mentioned this uh the provider input here. What about other stakeholders like group health plans? Did, did they have a position in this sort of listening session? They really kind of wanted things status quo, you know, as, as how it was before the law was enacted. The problem with that, of course, as we know from our law school days, is statutory construction rules say that there's a, the statute has to have meaning. So there must be some intent behind that statute. 
So, um, so you really can't leave it status quo. There's got to be some change that is um, that, that does uh, emanate from the establishment of this statute. So it's really now up to the departments to determine what that means and how, you know, and how things can be measured from a quality, from a performance standard. And when can they exclude providers if they're not required to, to contract with any willing provider? How can they exclude them without it reaching the threshold of discrimination? Um, and, and really, the outcome of this could have a significant consequence for group health plans and how they pay providers. Suzanne, thanks so much for this background. So for employers and other listeners on this podcast, I mean, we're just kind of waiting for, right? We're back into sort of a wait, wait and see game on what the agencies will actually do now that they have had this listening session and, and this directive from the CAA to sort of get a little bit more serious and a little bit more formal with their guidance. Right, exactly. So we'll, we'll obviously we'll update um, certainly our clients when we have additional information as this unfolds. But this was to put it on the radar that it is being, there are discussions going on, there will be some clarification, there could be some changes in how you operate your plan. So again, put you on notice, we'll, we'll provide more for clarification when we can. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much for this background. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And as we like to say on the podcast. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining. <laughs>